with the power of worship and of praise. Lord, you are so good and so much more. He is not only good, he is faithful. He is wonderful. He is my counselor, my protector, the leader and giver, hallelujah, of salvation. He is my provider. He is my help. He is my salvation. He is my glory. He is my wisdom. He is my help in time of need. You are my everything, oh God. Our Heavenly Father, we come to your presence. We come to you, O Lord, and our eyes are fixed on you. Our hearts are aligned with you, O God. And as we look to you, may we be connected to you to receive from you. May our lives, our hearts, our spirits, and our souls be aligned with you that we can receive all that we need to live and to have our life in you, O oh God. I pray for every single person, both young and old, who's gathered here. Some in need and some in, some in, in a good place in life, Father. I pray that you would speak to us and touch us alike. Change us. Strengthen us, encourage us, reprove us, bless us in your name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Praise God. Y'all can do a little better than that, right? I, I need to know that you're with me, otherwise, you know. I don't want to do this by myself. God is good. Amen. Amen. I, I think that would have worked a lot better, right? <laughs> I'm so glad to be here this morning with all of you. I want to thank God for allowing me to be here, especially Pastor Finney for giving me this opportunity to share the word of God. I want to thank the worship team for leading us in such a wonderful time of worship. Uh, it's such a blessing to have such a wonderful team, not just because they're talented, but they are sacrificial with their time, but that they are, they are making themselves available, giving something else up so that they can be here to lead us in a time of worship. So I want to thank Pastor Finney, the worship team, for leading us and blessing us so much. I want to especially thank Pastor Finney. I, I don't think I ever got an opportunity to ever stand up here and just... Uh, to thank you for all the years of um, help and dedication. I don't know, this mic is a little funny, it seems like. Um, for all the years of dedication and outpouring in my life and all the wonderful things that uh, you have done. I know one thing for sure, this, this man of God is, is definitely a man of prayer. Uh, in a time of need, if, I, if, if I'm thinking who would help me or what can I do, so many people may be able to help us in different ways, with their hands, their feet, their the, the, the resources that God has blessed them with. But if I'm thinking about someone who can go even beyond that, I have no doubt in my mind that if I ask Pastor Finney, please pray for me, he will spend all night praying for me. And there's not a great number of people like that. So I, I want to thank you for all your help and all the, the outpouring that you have given in my life, the discipleship, the mentorship, all the rides, all the visits that we had, all the meals that we had. 
sometimes he'd pick me up and we'd go to Applebee's and I would be the most quietest person, but he'd have so much to pour into my life and I really appreciate and thank God for that. At the same time, at the same time, uh, I want to thank all my Sunday school teachers. Over the years, you've taken the time to teach me, uh, to, to sacrifice your Fridays, your Saturdays to prepare the lesson. And when I say that, I, I think that I'm not saying that alone, but as a collective of all your students, all the hard work that you've done. And uh, I pray that even more in the coming days, the fruit would uh, be seen. At the same time, I'm so happy and glad to be here with my father. Um, all the hard work that he's done and poured out in my life. It's such a blessing to be able to uh, be here together and to minister in God's presence uh, with him. This is not me. I'm not speaking louder or softer. It's just, I don't know. That's just how it is, I guess. Um, this morning, this morning, I wanted to speak to you on the topic of God's love or moreover, journey with God journey with God. When I look at Christian life, I've come to understand it's, it's always a journey. It's a journey. Uh, it's hills and valleys, not because the valleys are the bad places and the hills are the great places. Both of them, both of, both of them serve a purpose. You can, you can, maybe you can turn my monitor, monitor down a little bit. That might help a little bit. Uh, it's, it's hills and valleys. Sometimes you're on the top of the mountain and sometimes you're in the valley. But God has a journey for you and he's taking you through that journey. And the beginning place of that journey is God finding you and revealing himself to you. And one of the greatest things with our God is the fact that he never asks something of you before he gives something to you. He never asks you to believe in him before, before, first of all, proving himself to be God in your life. Look at the word of God. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, God is revealing himself to his people. But he doesn't say, just come and follow me. He shows up and he says, I am God. He gives them a promise and then he leads them and it's the same way in your life and in my life and most of the time I hope God shows up I know God shows up not hope God shows up in your life as who he is before he even does anything in your life he might do something even in that moment but at that very same time, he reveals who he is. And God has showed us and spoken to us who he is. So many ways he describes himself. I am the God who is merciful, kind, and compassionate. Long-suffering. And in the book of 1 John chapter 4, verses 16, it says, God is love. God meets us with his love. The word of God in the book of Sam says his love is like a mighty waterfall crashing over us. One of the greatest needs of humanity is love. Amen. Your greatest remembrances will be the remembrances of deep love. 
There is a universal language in this world and it is love. And that is the way that God communicates with us first and foremost. What type of love is this? Where does this love come to us? When does this love come to us? I would say it finds us in the highest and the lowest moments of our life. In the book of Hosea, it talks about God's love as a parental love. It says, I drew you with cords of love, with cords of kindness. I was the one who taught you how to walk. God's love shows up in your life before you even knew of God or of his love. It was working in the background. Maybe you didn't even understand it and realize it or discern it. But he was the one who was raising you up when? When you were nothing and knew nothing. He says, I was the one who taught you how to walk. I was the one who taught you how to talk. It was me. I drew you with cords of love I don't know what that means to you and how you understand that I know I should probably tell you all the verses but I'm just running so fast Hosea chapter 11 verses 3 and 4 but I already told you the verse please, please pay attention to me Hosea 11 3 and 4 I don't know how you understand that when God says I drew you with cords of love and taught you how to walk and taught you how to live. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to train up a fellow employee or most of us have children to teach your children how much hard work and patience, long suffering it takes. How much you have to pour out, not just your wisdom, but your very self. Because it's so easy to say do this and do that. But it's so much more harder to come alongside of them, bring yourself down to their level and talk to them in their understanding and come to their level and lead them and guide them in that way. And live life and experience life with them. And let me tell you, they want that more than just telling them. Right? And God is saying, I took the time. To bend down, stoop down, come to your level, your understanding, and lead you and guide you. I humbled myself from the highest and loftiest places and came down and led you with cords of love. This is God's love. Coming as a parental love. Coming when we knew nothing and understood nothing. The other passage that I like to show you though a bit graphic is from the book of Ezekiel chapter 16 verses 4 to 8 on the day that you were born your cord was not cut nor were you washed with water to make you clean or were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes no one looked to you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown into the open field. On the day you were born, you were despised. What a graphic picture. 
to portray our spiritual circumstance in our life. What a graphic picture or a story, an illustration to talk about God's love when it found us. It's so easy to read in the Psalms that he remembered us in our lowest estate. But this kind of talks about and shows us our lowest estate. That we were left forgotten. No compassion, no pity. Just left to the wind, left alone. But then it talks about God's love in verse <clears throat> verse 8 later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you declares the sovereign Lord and you became mine I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put on ointment put ointment on you I clothed you and with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garment. I adorned you with jewelry. I put a bracelet on your arm and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, an earring on your ear, and a beautiful crown on your head. So that you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was honey, olive oil, and finest flour. You became very beautiful to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty because of splendor I had given you and made your, and made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. This is an illustration of how God leads us, where he takes us from. I know sometimes in our physical lives, it seems like we have everything. But if we, our spiritual eyes were open, we would see how devastated our being was. Undiscerning, unknowing of so much. But it was God who looked down upon us, picked us up, and what? Adorned us with so much. I haven't come to my message yet, I'm just getting started. It's talking about when is God's love, what type of love it is. It's a parental love. It's a love of a spouse, the dearest love. It's a love in our lowest moments. It's love in our nothingness, in our weakest moments. This is what God's love is. And this is the type of love that God gives to us. A love which is unconditional and sacrificial. Let me say a story like this, an illustration like this. Maybe it will help. Sam goes right here. Maybe I'm not going to come down. But I said to Sam go, hey, Sam go, can we be friends? And Sam goes, looked at me. He said, no. I go back and I'm really sad. Why? Because Sam go, wasn't being my friend. God comes back. And God says, Simon, go, will you be my friend? God, and Simon goes, just for sake of the illustration, or God comes to me and says, God, uh, God says to me, hey, be my friend. And I say no to God. God is filled with sorrow and grief. 
not because I didn't become his friend, but because he didn't have the opportunity to be my friend and give all that he could give in being my friend. That is the type of love of God. That even in anything and everything that he does, he does it on the basis of the receiver trying to give as much as he can. But man's love, the worldly love, will always have a selfish motive one way or another, no matter how hard we try. This is God's love. And this is the type of love that God wants to have with us. But what's the problem? What's the problem that usually happens? I want you to understand Christian life is not a ritualistic life. It's not a religious life. It is a relational life. I know I've said this so many times, especially when I was teaching Sunday school. Christianity is not ritualism. It's a relationship. Don't think that you're going to go to heaven because you said a whole bunch of prayers. Don't think you're going to go to heaven because you did a whole lot of worship. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. Because this word of God teaches a salvation that is a relational salvation. A relational salvation. And the problem in our life is this. We have defined sin by do's and don'ts. And that's not how God's word works. In the Old Testament, Moses stood on the mountain and he came down with the Ten Commandments and it said, Thou shalt and thou shalt not. But when Jesus stood on the sermon, on the, uh, stood on the mountain and gave his sermon, he didn't come with shall and shall not. He came and said, Be, be meek, be kind, be merciful. He talked about being, not necessarily doing and not doing. There is a, there is a comparison. Moses stood on the mount and gave the commandments. Jesus also stood on a mount and he gives a new testament. And the testament is living a life, a being, being merciful, being kind. Completely different. And what I was saying is this. Our understanding of sin is skewed because we're still living in the way of the Old Testament. But to have the understanding of reality is this. Jesus Christ, one of, the, one of the strongest comparisons that he calls our relationship or the relationship that God uses for us most often is a relationship between a husband and a wife. Even in Revelation, he says, you are my bride. And the honest to God truth is this. There are some things you shouldn't do in a relationship. And we are, we, those are given. But in a relationship, the things that hurt a person is unique to those relationships. And it comes with having the closeness and the dearness of that relationship. Walking with Christ. See, if, salvational is, if salvation is so relational, the concept of sin also must be relational. It's not merely do's and don'ts. It's also the fact that you are grieving the heart of God. You can say there's nothing wrong with this. You can say there's nothing wrong with that. But in your relationship with Christ, if there is something wrong with it, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, it is sin. It is sin. 
It is sin. See, God is trying to join you together with him. It says when a man, when Adam saw Eve, Adam looked to Eve and said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You shall be called Eve. And then it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his wife and cleave. A man shall leave, not leave his wife, I'm sorry. Leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and be with his wife. A leaving and cleaving. And this is the same thing that God is looking for from you. And this relationship of love. A leaving of so much and a cleaving to him. A cleaving to him. And it says the two shall become. Did you know that when two people, it doesn't matter who they are. When two people, they come so close together. And they're just so close together. They haven't done anything. They haven't talked or anything. But as they are so close together, their breathing gets aligned. They have the same breath at the same time. As they are so close together, their heartbeat begins to synchronize and they have the same heartbeat. They are on the same breath and the same beat. That's why one of the reasons the word of God says the two shall become one and this is exactly what God is trying to do with us he's trying to have this relationship of love with us where we're on the same beat with him where we have the same heart as him where we have the same breath and the same life as him but in between something keeps on creeping in and it's something called sin and one of the things that we foolishly do is forget who God is in the midst of our sin. We forget who God is in the midst of our sin. We met him. We may have fallen into sin at one point or another. And sin has skewed our understanding of God. And what we do is something like what Adam did. Sometimes I think and I wonder, what if Adam, instead of going and hiding, would have just gone to God and said to God, I messed up. I messed up. Please help me. What would God have done? We wouldn't have had to hide this whole drama for the past 5,000 years, right? 5,000 plus, right? With Abraham, Moses, and everything happening. We wouldn't have to deal with all this. What about Samson? Samson looked to God and said, God, just give me strength one more time. What if he had done that so much more earlier? What about you in your life? Would you have to deal with the whole mess of the whole, the whole ugliness of whatever, the whole thing you're going through? And running from God, hiding and this and that and all those things. What if you just went to God rather than living in shame, living in guilt, living in fear? What if you were to just gone to God and said, God, I messed up. Please help me again. You don't even have to say, please, please just help me. Right? One of the greatest prayers in the word of God. I love it. The disciple Peter looks to God and he says, Lord, help me. My favorite prayer in the word of God. Lord, help me. Immediately God helped him. 
You know, when God even came down into the garden, God came in the cool of day. He came walking in. He came in in patience and kindness. Just like I said, he draws you with cords of love and teaches you how to walk. He gave Adam the opportunity, the openness to come to him. I don't know how you are with your kids. I'm not perfect. As soon as I see you, Ruel, doing something, I'm like, what are you doing? Stop. He gets frightened. He gets scared. And then he doesn't tell me what he's about to do. And next time when he gets in trouble, he's hiding it. But this is not what God did. God came in the cool of day walking. And he said, Adam, where are you? God was looking. For what? Open relationship of trust. That you would trust, that you would lean on me. His relationship is a relationship with the foundation of love. Not with fear. Not with guilt. Not with shame. It's a relationship of love where you can go to him. But how do we pray? Oh man, tomorrow's the final exam. I got my finals coming. I got the interview coming. Oh man, this, this thing is happening in my life. Oh man, I'm in so much trouble. I'm about to get a ticket. Oh man, this is about to happen. And how do we pray? What is the foundation of our prayer? Anxiety? Fear? Stress? This is the foundation of our prayer from where we're launching off to God? I want to tell you no. Take a second. The foundation of your prayer needs to be the word of God. It needs to be, first of all, yes, I'm in trouble. Yes, I'm in a situation. Yes, I'm in a bind. Yes, I'm sick. Yes, this is happening. Yes, it's a terrible time right now. But I know one thing. God is awesome. God can do it. God is able. God is more than enough for me in this situation. And no longer is it a foundation of fear, anxiety, stress, and worry. But rather it's a foundation of faith from which you are launching off to God. What is the foundation of your relationship with God? Is it impersonal? Is it ritualistic? Or is it a relationship of deep, deep love? When you first met him. Just like when you first met him. God is trying to foster that. Even, even when you fail. That you will come back in openness and trust to him. But what usually happens. Our vision and understanding of God gets skewed. And we start to even mess it up even more. Let me ask you. When did Adam get kicked out of the Garden of Eden? He sinned. Jesus, um, God came down in the cool of day and started talking with Adam. Adam blamed his wife. And who else? And he blamed God. He blamed Eve. He first blamed God, and then he blamed Eve. It says, the wife you gave me did this and made me do this, or so on and so forth. He blamed God. And that's usually what happens with sin too. We start to sin, and we, if you go deep enough, you start to blame God. You start to have animosity towards God. We start to blame God. We start to blame Eve, we start to blame X, Y, and Z. 
And then what happens? We find ourselves outside of Eden. Yes, we all sin. Yes, we all fall short. But even more than that, there is a God who can do two things. In the word of God, when you go to Hebrews chapter, let me look, I think 4 verses 15. It says, for we have a high priest who can sympathize with us. Who understands our shortcomings and failures. I like to switch that word from sympathize to the word empathize. Because sympathize simply means that he understands. But empathize means that I know what you're going through. I can understand and I know what you're going through. I know the feelings. I know the struggles. I've been there. Sympathize is simply a person who understands. Yes, I, I know the, I understand. I think I understand. But sympath, empathize is a person who knows, goes beyond that. I can feel the feelings. I've had those feelings. I know what it's like. This morning, what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you this. We have a great God who's full of love, who's full of mercy, who gave himself for us in so many ways. We experience this love. But somewhere along the line in this journey that you're walking with God, you're going to find yourself that you mess up. You're going to find yourself that I've backslidden a little bit. But I want to tell you something, rather than hiding, rather than going on with your life, God is right there. He's just a single small prayer away. For what? To give you back everything. It's not great to wallow in sin. It doesn't get any better. It just gets all the more murkier, all the more worse. And then we start to blame people. We start to blame things, situation. We start to even blame God. And the separation and the chasm just grows. Meanwhile, there was only one necessity. The understanding and the holding on to God that God is love. The word of God describes God in this way. I believe it's Psalms 50, Psalms 100 verse 5. For God is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. How do you understand faithfulness? How do you understand faithfulness? Usually we understand it with the perspective that we have. God is faithful to me. God keeps his promises to me. Yes, that is true. But there is another perspective, and it is this. God will not change the character that he holds and that he has. God is first and foremost faithful to who he is. He is good, and he will not stop being good. 
He is love and He will not stop being love. He is merciful and He will not stop being merciful. God will remain true to who He is. One of the things that you can always count on in your life, no matter what the circumstance and situation, it is this, that God is not going to change. One of the things that I can always hold on to when situations are so tough and so bleak is this, that God is still good and he is still good in this situation. And he knows what he is doing. But let me ask you, do you remember that when you start to backslide? Or are you still hiding? Because God is calling your name this morning. God is calling your name this morning. It's not Adam, where are you? It's your name he's calling. Where are you? I was the one who found you in your lowest moments. I was the one who found you when you were still simple and knew nothing. I was the one who drew you with cords of love and taught you how to walk, taught you how to live. It was me. I did those things. With a purpose, with a reason. If you can just bow your heads with me this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Father God, we, we look to you. And we understand, Lord, that it is you who is the lifter of our heads. It is not our abilities. It is not our wisdom, our might, our skill. But it is always you. You were the one who was there working in the background. But Lord, a question arises in times of struggle, in times of difficulty, and even in times when we are starting to falter, will we still look back to you? Lord, I pray that we would have the understanding your love never fails. Not that we would run from your love and be away from you and lose that relationship with you. Or rather, in even the times of difficulties and even the times of doubt, that doubt would not be our foundation. We would look to you and say, your love, your faithfulness, who you are is the foundation of our life. Father, I know that there are many who are listening and hearing. You birthed them with a purpose. Before their mother knew them, before the state of New York understood them, or even acknowledged them. Before the government acknowledged them. You saw them in their mother's womb. Even before their mother even heard the heartbeat in their mother's womb. You saw them and acknowledged them to be life. To be a child of God. You birthed them with purpose and for a reason to accomplish great things. And Lord... The devil has been working in strides to usurp their purpose. 
to usurp our purpose the might the glory the blessing that you have over our life but this morning we declare oh father your purpose still remains your purpose still stands your kingdom still stands lord i pray over every single person who is seated here and i ask that your blessing will be poured out over them oh god I ask that your purpose, your calling over their life will be fulfilled because I know some of them are destined, oh God, to do great things in this house, to build this house, and to replicate that relationship for others. This, this morning time, Lord, I speak your blessing over your people. I speak it over this congregation. I speak it over this church. Let their borders and territories be expanded. Lord, we pray right now when we say, open your ancient doors. Lift your heads and open your ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Father, we ask that you continue to build and bless your people. Thank you for doing it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.